Good morning, everyone. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, the most important question we want to ask you this morning is, do you have your Christmas lights up yet? How many of you have your Christmas? Anybody? I mean, some of our neighbors do. It's like, wow. Uh, I think they started right after Halloween. And it uh, seems like it's getting earlier and earlier. You know, this is the time of year where uh, many of you are going to be traveling, and you're going to be um, traveling this week around the Christmas holidays, and you're going to be around some people that you don't spend that much time with oftentimes other than during this season. For some of you, this is heavenly. This is wonderful. You're, you're really looking forward to this. For some of the other ones, this is as close to hell as you can get, this side of heaven. And so it uh, kind of depends on your circumstances and situations. And if this is heavenly for you, if you just can't wait to get to mom's house and enjoy mom's cooking and all of your cousins and in-laws and outlaws and, and extended family, you just love them and they're incredibly supportive and everything, then sweet. Good for you. We're happy for you. Uh, you're welcome to take a nap for the next few minutes. Um, actually, for you, it probably is going to be, this message is probably going to be best applied um, for people that you work with, your boss, your coworkers, or people that you get stuck with, that you have to be with, uh, that you don't necessarily get along with. And so hopefully it'll be applied uh, in some practical ways there. For the rest of you, uh, for those of you that are scattering and going to be around some of these people that if it wasn't for the holidays, you would not hang out with these people ever. <laughs> they, they don't think the way you think. They don't believe the way you believe. Their ethics, their lifestyles, uh, the way they think about God or not about God or the way they think about you um, is not incredibly enriching. Yet, they have this... <laughs> powerful draw on us because they're part of the F word, family. <laughs> so what do we do with this, okay? How do we handle this? So we want to talk today about families, family dynamics, and not allowing our unrealistic expectations or judgments or old wounds and hurts to come up and prevent us from really celebrating this wonderful time of the year and to prevent us from sharing the love of God to these people that we are related to. So we're going to give some practical tips today, and we're going to just talk about how we can make it a wonderful holiday. Now, you know, Jesus had an earthly family too, just like we do. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be related to Jesus, to sit across the table from him at a holiday? to pray over the Christmas meal with him. No, no, that probably didn't happen. <laughs> but when we think about Jesus and his family, we always think about, well, they probably got along perfectly. Everything went really well for them. But if you look at the scripture, that's not necessarily the case. So let's take a look at Mark 3.20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Some of your relatives may have said that about you. You never know. And then down to verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and, and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. 
Now, on the surface, doesn't this sound incredibly disrespectful? Um, like he's discounting them almost as if he's abandoning his biological family. But I think if we understand this rightly, there's a couple of very important things that are being said here. The first one is that Jesus was never shy about speaking to those things in the religious community of which he was a part of, the Jewish culture, that were out of kilter, that had gotten out of balance. If you were part of the Jewish culture at that time, the biological family, in essence, was it. It was almost worshipped. You would be with them all of your life. As a matter of fact, uh, when you got married, you would oftentimes build a house next door. The family almost built a little compound together. They would have a family business. Everybody was expected to work in the family business. And they were almost to a point to where this was becoming an idol, that they were God's chosen people, and being part of this biological family was, in essence, the way that they worship God. And so Jesus was speaking directly to that. Uh, Theologian N.T. Wright says it this way, Jesus slices through the whole traditional structure in one clean cut. He has a different vocation, a different mission, and it involves breaking hallowed family ties. God is doing the unthinkable. He is starting a new family, a new holy people, and is doing so without regard for ordinary family bonds. So the first thing that the scripture is speaking to here is about what it means to be Christian. That being Christian means that we have to be in a position where we are choosing Christ, we are following him, and we are choosing him above all else. Even if other people think we're crazy, even if other people don't get us, that he and our relationship with him is the primary focus. The second thing we see here is that Jesus was differentiating himself from his family. He's saying, you are you, and I am me, and we're different. We think different, we do things differently, and that's okay. It's okay to be separate individuals. You know, I think about in that circumstance, even if I had said that, I would feel this obligation to run out to my family and go, okay, you guys are okay with that, right? You know, you know that I really mean this and this and this. But Jesus didn't feel a need to explain himself. He could leave it just as it was. And, of course, most of us would have somebody in our family that would go, how could you embarrass us like this? Jesus, why can't you be like the rest of your brothers? Why do you have to act like this? But Jesus was okay with the difference. Because sometimes when we're around, especially our family of origin, those differences can cause tension. And we can feel guilty because these are my people. I should be able to feel comfortable here and not have this kind of tension. And we'll start to feel guilty. It's like, oh, maybe I should be more like them. No, maybe they should be more like me. But it's recognizing God has a call on each of our lives. He has created us each as individuals. And we've had different life experiences from a lot of our family members. We're going to be different than they are, and it's okay. We can let them be who they are, and we can be okay with being who we are. The challenge is this idea of differentiation creates tension. Uh, Most of us, by this time in our life... um, Again, most of us even think this by about the age of 15, but certainly um, whatever stage you're in in here, most of us think that we've got the world pretty well figured out, that I understand the way it works, I understand why this happens and why that happens, and, and I've got the right view on it. Now, if you agree with me, then you are really bright. 
and I'd love to hang out with you. But the minute you disagree with me, wait a second, I know I'm right, you're different, you must be wrong. It creates tension. Matthew 13, Jesus coming to his hometown, says he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they ask? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, in his own home, own house is a prophet without honor. Even when people are doing good, if it's different, you would think that his family would have been cheering him on. That's my brother. Did you see what he did? Did you hear what he just said? Isn't that amazing? But he now is different than we are. And so there's something wrong. Those differences can cause tension. And most of us don't want tension in our relationships. And so we try to find a way to resolve that tension when we're with family. And the problem is we usually pick a couple of unhealthy ways. The first way that we tend to pick is what's called emotional fusion. Let's downplay our differences. Let's ignore the fact that we're different. La, 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 la. Let's pretend that we're all the same and we deny our individuality. There's two ends of the continuum with this. On one end, it's codependency. Codependency is go along to get along. Or it's I'm going to stop being me so that you'll be happy and I blend in better. At the other end of the continuum is control. That is, I'm going to force others to go along to make me happy. And you have to lose your individuality so that I'm happy, so that I get along. Both of those are unhealthy ways, and both of them come from the need of having approval or acceptance from the people around us. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is inviting people to come and be about the work of the kingdom. And if you'll remember, people had several excuses. One of them was, I just got married. I can't go be about the the work of the kingdom. Or I just got a couple of oxen, which is kind of like having a business in these days. So I can't be about the work of the kingdom. Another one just bought a field. So I can't be about the work of the kingdom. And Jesus responds to them in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That does not sound good, does it? (laughs) I don't think Jesus is telling us to disown or to hate our family. I think there's something else that he wants to tell us. Now, there's a few of you that thought, you know what, I have a cousin that I have that hate thing down pretty good with. (laughs) So what is he saying? Because it sounds like it's getting worse here, um, that we're actually supposed to hate them. If if Jesus was a political candidate, it would sound a little bit like, hey, vote for me. And if you vote for me and elect me, then I will assure you that your taxes will go up, your income will go down, and you'll generally lose all of that that's precious to you. Now, if you had a political candidate that was saying that, I don't know that he would even get heckled. I think he would just like get, what? I mean, it just like would not make any sense. 
But I think more rightly understood here, it's a little bit like this is the leader of a great expedition, expedition that is going over a mountain range, a snowy mountain range, and leading a group of people. And he found out that there's a group of people on the other side of the mountain range that have been disconnected from culture. They have serious medical issues, and he's taking this group of people to care for them. And he stops halfway up the pass and says, this is the time where you're probably going to have to let go of some of your personal stuff. Some of the stuff you have in your packs, it's going to get too heavy to carry it over the pass here. You're going to have to leave it, leave it go. As a matter of fact, this is the last opportunity you have to send the last postcard home. Now, hold on to the medical supplies. That's what we're, that's what we're going here for. Um, send the last postcard home because some might not make it back. That's probably more rightly understood, understanding what is happening here. It is more in understanding with the nature of we understand Jesus. Christianity, quite rightly, is connected with family values. If you've heard us before, you know we're big on marriage. We're big on the family. We believe God designed this to be a blessing in our life, that this is not something that is bad or wrong or evil in our life. It's to be a blessing. But the, the idea here in, in the life of the Christian is that when the sake of the kingdom is at hand, it is only in losing our life will we ultimately gain it. So to be loyal to Jesus, you're going to have to have times where those people close to you are not going to get it. They're not going to understand you. They're not going to accept you. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says simply, no one can serve two masters. Now, most of us think the specific um, meaning of that is you can't serve God and money. But the general inference there is that you cannot serve God and please people all the time. It's not going to happen. If we can't accept that we are different from each other and still be in relationship with one another, if we choose to not do the unhealthy way of emotional fusion, sometimes we choose the unhealthy way of emotional cutoff. I'm just going to cut you out of my life. I'm just not going to have anything to do with you at all because you are different and you are wrong and it's too awkward to be around you, so I'm going to stay away from you. Now, let me just say one thing. If you have an abusive family and you have come to the conclusion it is healthier for you to not be around them because they are abusive and they're damaging, then that's a different circumstance. This emotional cutoff is, I don't like you, so I'm going to stay away from you. That's an unhealthy approach to family. But we see Jesus' brothers doing something very similar to this in John 7, 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. And remember, this was his hometown. This is where people knew him, purposely staying away from Judea because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe him. They're saying, you know what? Just leave. It's awkward having you here. Quit embarrassing us to be here. You think you're so important? So go and show off all of the things that you're doing in another town. We don't want you 
close to us. This idea of emotional cutoff really gets us in a position where we tend to be emotionally reactive to other people. We label them. We put them in a box. We go, oh, you're just like this. And so I'm going to separate myself from you and not have anything to do with you. This is not obviously the Christian story either. So on one hand, differentiation is not this emotional fusion where we have to be the same to be able to hang out together. Either I'm going to adjust me to uh, be like you or I'm going to control you to be like me so that we can hang out together, that we can be together and yet be different. It's also not this emotional cutoff like this rugged individualism, this John Wayne-esque kind of thing where I don't need anybody and I can just do my own thing and live my own life. It is, no, we can... Um, we can still be together uh, again and not and yet be different. So differentiation is what is it? It's individuality in relationship. Community is incredibly important to God. The church is His idea. This is what that what He's about: moving the kingdom forward in the world. The main thing that Jesus ever talks about in in His life is is unity. But the only way that we can be healthy in our family experiences is if we have a healthy sense of self, that I know who I am, who I am in Christ. I understand and respect who you are. It has to be that healthy um, balance. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 talks about the importance of even difference in unity. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So just to make it clear, Jesus is not rejecting the family. Simply saying that the family of God is not defined by blood. It is defined by doing the will of the Father. If you'll follow Jesus' actual biological family through the rest of the story, you'll find that Mary's mother follows him to the cross. Matter of fact, one of the very last things that he does before his death is he says, John, behold your mother. Mary, behold your, your brother and your, uh, your son. And, and connected their lives. He took care of his mother. We see uh, Mary in the upper room after the crucifixion. James, one of his brothers, biological brothers, is, is one of the first pastors and one of the first bishops um, in, the, in the early church because they did the will of the Father. So as a Christian, our identity primarily has to be, who am I um, in Christ? If we find a sense of security in that, then we can help in a healthy way interact with others. So as counselors, over the next few weeks, we're going to be working with individuals to help them prepare to go and be with their extended family. And then in January, we help them recover from being with their extended family. So we want to give you some practical tips on how to go into the holidays and really enjoy that time with your families, to really celebrate this time, and to show his love and his grace and mercy to the people that are in your family, even though you are all dramatically different from one another. When we go into the family, it's easy to be challenged in some way. We can have old hurts come up. We can have that feeling that we need to be responsible for everybody that's involved here. We have so many things that come against us in the midst of family situations. We want to go in, and we want to be prepared. 
So one of the things I encourage my clients to do is I have them make a list of the positive beliefs and thoughts that they want to go into the holiday with so that they're armed with this is what I believe. Sometimes they have to do this is what I want to believe. This is what I believe. So when I go into the family and some of these old messages come back, I can go back to that list and go, no, this is truth and this is what I believe. So number one, thought. You are valuable and fully loved whether they, your family, ever express it or not. Um, They are never going to be able to love you as he loves you. Uh, We have to know that his love is complete. He knew what he was doing when he designed you. You've been made in his image. He knows what he's doing in your life. uh, And your family will never fully get that. But remember, he has the final word. It's what he believes about you that is the most important. You can't change or fix them. There's an old joke. Do you know how many therapists it takes to change a light bulb? The light bulb really has to want to change. (laughs) We can't change anybody or we can't fix them. But oftentimes when we get in those situations, we want to go, oh, I need to just make sure I tell them this. Or maybe if I say it in this way, they'll actually receive what I want to tell them and they'll get their act together. And some of us have grandmas that are like, I really want you to pull your cousin aside over Thanksgiving because you need to tell him this and this and this that you do in your life. We can't fix people. We want to be the Holy Spirit. We want to point those things out to people and make sure they get it. But we are terrible at being the Holy Spirit. So let's step back and allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives and stay out of it. Our job is to love them and to accept them and to realize God loves our family even more than we do. And he's speaking into their lives, sometimes in ways that we have no idea and that we can't see. So our job is to just love them and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in their life closely aligned with that is that you're not responsible for them. Sometimes we feel this responsibility because I'm a, you know, I'm a sibling or I'm a cousin or I'm, you know, in this biological family, then if I don't get them saved, if I don't get them to understand this, then who's going to talk to them? And we feel this responsibility. And unfortunately, then we slip into what we call bullying evangelism or parental evangelism, where we're just trying to get them Um, to do right or to be right. And so, for heaven's sake, and I mean literally heaven's sake, don't get into these long, drawn-out debates over stuff that the church has been debating for hundreds and thousands of years. Um, It's okay to say your opinion, but, but just don't bully. The next one is you're not responsible for their happiness. You know, sometimes you're with family members and you go, oh, I hate it that they're not happy. And we feel like, what can I do to try to make them happy? We can't make anybody else happy. We can just love them and we can accept them. But people have to make their own choices to find happiness. They are not a reflection on you. Sometimes we think we have this altruistic kind of sense about us where I just want to help them for their own good, where in reality... They're just embarrassing us, um, and they, we, just, we don't like the way that they reflect us. They do not define you. Their life, their choices, their decisions don't define you. You can love them without getting their approval. 
there's going to be some choices that you've made in your lives. I remember clearly getting a phone call of the family all got together and we discussed that you should take your children out of private schools so that you can do this and this and this. It's like, thank you very much. They may not approve of what you're doing, but that's okay. You can be comfortable in who you are and love them and show as much of the love of God as you possibly can to them, even if they don't agree with your life and some of the choices that you've made. No matter how much you talk, they may never understand you. We have this sense that if I can just keep explaining myself, if I can just keep talking long enough, then eventually they're going to understand where I'm coming from, and then they'll agree with me. No, they won't. They're never going to get it. They're never going to fully understand it. They're never going to know what it is that you really need or how to take care of you um, or even why you make some of the decisions you make. But God does. And then we go into action steps. We have our list of positive thoughts. And then we go into what are some practical action steps that we can take when we're with our family this holiday season. So real quick, celebrate what you have. You may not have the Hallmark card family. It may not, you know, the big snapshot in front of the fireplace that everybody, everything just looks wonderful and, and all, all smiles and beautiful, perfect people. Um, it may not look like that, but there is some good in the midst of this. So often we lose what we have because of what we wish we could have. C.S. Lewis says it this way. We often miss the present good that God has put in our lives because we want the anticipated good. We want something else. We're never satisfied. Find what it is that is good that you have. Remember, Paul was the one that talks about learning how to be content in all circumstances. He was in prison when he said that. There's, there's a place to find a place of good and a place of peace. Choose to have good holidays by making good plans. I don't know why we think we can get families from all over the country that only see each other once a year and put them all in one house in close quarters and that it's going to be a perfect week. You know, we all have different lives. We have kids that are at different ages. We do things differently. And so we have to plan and we have to go, what is going to make this most peaceful? What will work best for our family as we interact with the rest of the family? When we had little kids, we would drive up to Indiana for Thanksgiving. And oftentimes, there would be this set plan that everybody was going to do together, which sounded great, except most of the things that were planned were for the cousins that were considerably older than my kids and were things that would either bore my children or they couldn't sit still through. And so we'd end up going to a movie or something, and the other cousins are sitting there, and mine are under the seat and standing on the seat cushion, jumping up and down, going, look, this is bouncy. And, and it would end up being stressful for everybody. So it's okay to look at what works for us as a family. And it may be, guys, we're going to have to uh, stay out of the children's museum. You guys can go and do that. We need to take some quiet time to do something else. My kids have been in the car for 12 hours. We need to find something else to do during this time. And it may not make everybody happy. There might be some raised eyebrows of, but I've planned this all year for you guys. But really, it's better to have a few peaceful, positive days with family than to try to push through and make it work and then get in the car and go, I don't ever want to see those people again the rest of my life. I also encourage you, just because you have seven days off, doesn't mean you have to spend seven days at grandma's house. 
and I am now a grandma. And so I can give you permission to do that. Sometimes the best thing for you and your individual family is to spend three days at grandma's house and then go stay in a hotel for a few days. So do what works for you as a family that brings peace. You're going to be more loving to your extended family if you are more at peace and you aren't as stressed out over some of the logistics. And parents of adult kids, remember, sometimes they're in their early career building, and this is the only vacation time that they get. And so they need some time to go on dates together, or they need some time to just be with their little individual family to really build memories and positive times. We can allow them to do that because we want their families to grow and flourish. Give yourself exit points. Uh, when you get all of these people together in um, usually a room that isn't um, set up for 40 people, and uh, then we add all the unique fi- family dynamics, and then you have that wonderful cousin that just loves to make you the, the, the butt of all of their jokes, sometimes you just need to get away. Now, I would say I did this very poorly early in our marriage. Uh, we would be in a setting and And Janice was trying to get my attention, and she was trying to let me know that if we don't get out of here in, like, the next minute, people will die. Um, In a very sweet way, of course. Yes, of course. And she would try to be giving me this, you know, this um, nonverbal cues across the room, and I'd go, what? What? Eventually, I learned, and we had pre-planned signals Pulling the ear meant if we don't, again, in about three minutes go take a walk, then things are going to go badly or we're going to get in the car and drive back to Indiana immediately. Um, Or the the hand on the side of the nose meant something else. And so um, work together as a team, as a family, come up with these um, opportunities for exit points. It's okay to want to go read a book or take a walk or go to Starbucks or sometimes we... It's even worth spending a little bit more money to get your rental car so you have an escape route. You have your own vehicle. Um, and, uh, but plan those ahead of time so that we can find a place of peace. The next one is prepare your answers ahead of time. If you've had a difficult situation this year, if something's happened in your family, and you're just not ready to talk to all the extended family about it, prepare your answers ahead of time. So you're not caught off guard and you walk away and go, I cannot believe I just said that about my son to great Aunt Hilda that I only see once every three years. So if somebody comes to you and says, so why isn't your son going back to school uh, out of state this year? Instead of saying what would blurt out, because I'm not going to put thousands of dollars into tuition money when he's just partying the whole time and we're not getting a GPA out of it. You know, if you don't want to say that with these particular people, then you just say, you know what, we have decided as a family that it's better that he's close to home this next semester. (laughs) That way you feel better, you don't feel as vulnerable, and you've protected your son, and it's been a positive experience for everyone. If you've got that uncle that comes up and says, you're such a beautiful girl, why aren't you married by now? And you want to say, well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Instead, you just come up with a pat response like, Uncle Harry, I just haven't found anybody as wonderful as you yet. (laughs) 
So you look for those answers that you can come up with so that you're not caught off guard and you're not left feeling vulnerable. If you have a family member that you know has gone through a difficult time this year, be there to help run interference for them. If your sister just went through a divorce and she doesn't really want to talk about it, then you can be the one that's there to run interference and to cut into the conversation and make a difference. And worst case scenario, if you cannot think of anything to say or the person continues to be persistent, you say, thank you so much for your concern. You know what? I'm not really comfortable talking about that right now. And if they continue to ask, you go, I would appreciate your prayers, but you know, I'm not comfortable talking about that right now. And if they continue, you say, thank you so much, but you know what? I'm not comfortable talking about that right now. And even if it makes no sense to the question they have just asked you, eventually they're going to stop asking. And you're going to feel better because you haven't blurted out something that you hadn't prepared or that makes you feel uncomfortable or makes you feel vulnerable. It, it may feel like it, but when you go in to be with your family, you're not on trial. You don't have to prove your life. You don't have to justify things. Your job is to go in and just love them. Be present and be a loving presence with the people around you. Look for the good in every one of your relatives. Everybody has some redeeming qualities, even crazy Uncle Harry. They're made in the image of God. Now, that image may have gotten really fuzzy, um, and it's kind of hard to see, uh, but your attitude is shaped by what you focus on. If you focus on the craziness, then you're going to have a very negative attitude towards them. If you focus on the one quality that they have, that they uh, exemplify, then focus on that. You'll be able to go into with a healthy attitude. And look for ways that you can be a blessing. Volunteer to bring the Christmas Eve dinner or Christmas morning breakfast. Be the one that watches the trash can, and when it's overflowing, you take the trash bag out and take it out and put a new one, make sure you put a new one back in again. Be the one that's making coffee for everyone to make sure that the coffee pot stays full or loading or unloading the dishwasher. It's amazing what a difference that makes to the hostess when you are there to do some of those little practical things without being asked. Generally, the hostess has enough on her plate that she needs somebody else to take on those things. And that is really showing the love of God. I'm here for you to take care of some of these things that everybody else may overlook. And finally, remember that everyone is facing their own issues, their own insecurities, and their own private pain. C.S. Lewis, Lewis says it this way, always remember that everyone you meet is fighting a battle. Hurt people hurt people. My dad helped me understand this when I was a kid. Now, this is going to date me significantly because when I was a child, a uh, little boy, we would pick up glass pop, pop bottles that had been thrown on the side of the road, and we'd take them down to this little corner grocery store, and we'd get a nickel or a quarter or a dime or 50 cents or whatever. We could buy our own some more stuff. And there was this one home that we had to go by to go to the little store. And every time we even got close to the fence uh, of where this house was, there was a dog there. Now, at that time, when I was eight, I thought the dog was like 10 feet tall, you know. It was probably a little mutt, but it, you know, uh, but it, would, hit, it would hit the fence, 
teeth bared, looks like it was going to just tie into you. And it just looked like it was angry all the time. Um, it, it, uh, you could never say anything to get it to calm down. It was just wanted to take you out. And I remember asking my dad one day, I said, what is the deal with this dog? Is this, are all dogs like that? Is it the breed of dog? Is it all dogs like that? So mean? And he said, no. He said, he said, Brent, we've seen the owners of that dog. Oftentimes, if the dog's barking or outside, they will come out and they will throw rocks at it. As a matter of fact, he said, do you notice how it limps a little bit? Um, one time, um, the, the owner came out the back door and threw a brick at it and hit its hindquarters and broke its, broke its leg and just left it there, and it had to kind of heal on its own. He said, do you treat a dog that way? It's going to be mean. I began to understand that that's what happens with humans. They go through their own private pain, through their own insecurities, their own fears. They're fighting their own battle, and sometimes they come out mean. Sometimes they come out rude. <laughs> sometimes they come out ways that that is not supportive and encouraging. Uh, sometimes they have to put you down to make themselves feel better. It's their own insecurities. And so any of those difficult ones that you encounter, just just know that God sees them differently. He He knows the brick that they've encountered. He knows the difficulty that they've experienced. And so our trust is that, that we all can have his eyes uh, as we go into the holidays. Why don't you stand to your feet? Lord, we recognize that part of the human story is that we're humans. We're limited. We have, uh, we have failed others. We've probably said some stuff that has hurt others at times or caused them to feel insecure around us. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you'll search our hearts. Speak to us so that we might be good image bearers, that we might be good little icons as we represent you in the world. And those that we encounter, we trust that you will give us your eyes and your heart for, that we'll be able to make some very practical um, assessments and adjustments in our thoughts and beliefs and in our attitudes and decisions so that we might be light into our families um, this year. Lord, we pray as every single person in this room scatters, uh, whether they're having family in or they're going, whether it's over Thanksgiving or Christmas, whatever the holidays might be, as the, every person that they encounter, we pray that, that we might reflect you well. So we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.